This is the New Life Rancho Vista podcast. We are a church committed to loving God, growing together, and serving others. Our prayer and desire is that this message from our campus pastor, Peter Moore, will be a help and an encouragement to you, regardless of where you are in your relationship with Jesus. So let's open our hearts and minds as we turn our attention to the incredible truths God has for us today. We are uh, diving right into our last uh, talk about dreams, dreaming big. And uh, I just believe when everything around you seems like a nightmare, why don't you just start dreaming big? That's what, that's what we've been doing. And uh, I've had a couple of people this last week tell me, how, you know, what, why in the world would we want to dream big during a pandemic? You know, my thought is that's the best time to dream big. You don't want to get your eyes off of the prize during a pandemic. You want to get it on the prize. And so that's what we've been doing. We just believe here at New Life that only big dreams require God to do big things. And so if we don't have big dreams, we don't need a big God. And uh, we, are, we are dreaming big, big dreams and, and, uh, through the life of Abraham. And, uh, and so does anyone need a handout? Just go ahead and raise your hand if you need one. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll get it to you. Anyone outside, just raise your hand. We'll get, get you a pen. Uh, you can raise your hand either way. Genesis chapter 22, uh, we surveyed through chapter 21 last week, and we saw that Isaac was born. And you say, how many, uh, how many chapters have we done? We've, we've, we've done since chapter 12. So we've done really well in just the last five weeks uh, going through the life of Abraham. And uh, today we're going to be talking about how Abraham's dreams started to become a reality and it didn't solve all those problems. Can I just tell you that the moment your dream starts to become a reality, it doesn't mean all of your problems go away. In fact, it probably means that life's going to get a little bit more complex or, or, or a little bit more difficult. But that's not a problem because when we look at uh, the, the life of Abraham, we see that as his problems grew, his faith grew as well. Now listen, don't be afraid of future problems because God's already there. Don't be afraid of of what makes you a little bit uncomfortable because I will tell you that faith only operates outside of your comfort zone. And so when we come to Genesis 22, we see that part of the dream has already become a reality. Isaac's already been born. And uh, we see that, 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 that God's starting to kind of put him through a test. In fact, look at verse number one because it says uh, in, in, in verse number one, it says that God tempted Abraham. The, a better word for that would be test. And, and it's actually the reason why the old English word is, is tempted is because uh, they, they actually used a word 400 years ago that was used for tempered, like tempered steel to, 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 to make it stronger. And actually, untempered steel is worth less than tempered steel. Why? It's stronger. Tempered steel is stronger. And so when we've gone through a a test, when we've gone through a trial, when we've walked through a valley, our faith weighs more. It's worth more. See, a faith that cannot, is not tested, cannot be trusted. We have to come back to the testing. And really an alternate uh, title for today's study could be, How Not to Mess Up the Blessings of God. (laughs) You know, we've all been blessed, and this week I hope you take some time to write down those blessings and to really think through some things you're thankful for. But when God starts to give you a dream, and when that dream starts to become a reality, the worst thing that you could ever do is think it's you. And so we want to go back to Hebron, or specifically the northern part of the Negev Desert. I think we have a map here. 
and uh, show you exactly where he's at. Little green pin there uh, is uh, Beersheba, and, uh, and, and the Bible would say with a B, Beersheba, okay? But it's, uh, it's, if you were to walk from this location uh, to Jerusalem because of the Hebron Mountains and because of uh, the, the mountains by Jericho, the Jericho Road, as you have heard before, uh, it would take you about three days. In fact, it took Abraham three days. And so uh, this, this area that, that Abraham lived in, it, it's really spectacular because even to today, we actually see some of the ruins that date back to Abraham's day. In fact, I think we have a picture of that. So this is the Tel Beersheba. This is where Abraham lived. This is where Abraham was traveling to, from to Jerusalem. We'll talk about that journey in a minute. But let me just tell you the story. For some of you that are just coming in and we have some that are just uh, online and, and on the radio and even here that you're just beginning your faith journey. And I just want you to know that we're so thankful you've begun your faith journey. And listen, if you've been uh, on the journey for a while and, and you know this story, just, just listen to it again. Because Abraham in verse number one, he's, he's entering a moment, a valley. He doesn't know it. We know it because the Bible tells us. He doesn't know it. He's entering into this valley and and God then reveals to him something that, that, that's really hard for us to wrap our mind around. In verse number two, he says, uh, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee to the land of Moriah, that's Jerusalem, and offer him uh, for a burnt offering. And I really think at that mo- moment, Abraham's saying, Well, come again? Like, God, I know you're against child sacrifice. Like, like I know you don't really want me to do that. Why would you ask me to do that? We're going to answer that question today. Verse number seven, skip down to verse number seven. Isaac's walking up the mountain, and, and he says, hey, we, we, we got the wood, we got the fire. Where's the lamb? Like, like, where's the offering, Dad? And when they came to the place, verse nine, uh, which God had told him of, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood and bound Isaac his son. How'd that go? He bound Isaac his son. Laid him on the altar of wood. In verse number 10, he stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. What is going on? Why in the world would this be, uh, you know, even considered? Verse 11, Lord called out to uh, him from heaven, said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here am I. He said, lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast withheld thy son, thine only son. You say, wait a second. He had two sons, Ishmael. Why does it say only son? And the word in Hebrew that would be translated into Greek would be begotten. His only begotten son, meaning the only son that came with a promise. The only son that, that, that was uh, of his uh, marriage, that, that was from Sarah. And so, yes, he had another son, but that other son had left. He, this was the only son in his home. Verse 13, Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and beheld behind the and was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering instead of his son. So if you're just reading this for the first time, maybe some of you online, you're like, man, I've never read that in the Bible, and that just really confuses me. And, and probably the two questions that you would come to are, are two questions that I've come to over and over again from this passage, and the two questions are this. Number one, why in the world would God ask Abraham to do this 
Why would he ask him to kill his son? And then the second question that would probably lead you to something that is more relevant to what you're thinking through in your life, and that is, what do you do when it seems like God is sending you mixed signals? Like what happens when it seems like you're reading the Word of God and you're looking at your life and it seems like God's sending you two different messages? Like this son's going to be the birth of a new nation. Oh, go kill him. What? Like how do you reconcile that? And I just want to lean into that in this final message and talk about how, how to get past that moment where you feel like, man, this is how I feel. And this is what life looks like. And I look at the word of God and I look at my life and I look at the word of God and I look at the promises of God and I look at my life and I say, God, it's not matching up. And the promises that you said you gave me in your word and what's actually transpiring, it seems to contradict. And so the first question, why would God ask Isaac to be, or ask Abraham to kill Isaac, his child? And the answer to that question is found in verse, well, in a couple of verses. It's, it's found in verse 2 when it says the word lad. Okay, lad. We would, we would say, if you, if you use lad, we would say, it's a boy. It's, it's, it's a child. Well, this word lad is the, is the Hebrew word nayar. It, it, it means young man. It's a child that is older than 12, and, and, and it's often used as a man of youth. Now, if you do a little research, as I did, and you start to kind of piece together the timeline, I believe, and you can come up with another number and let me know, but I believe that Isaac was 33 years old. Now, we'll talk about the significance of that in a minute. But look at, uh, in your notes, Genesis 21, 34. It's the last verse in the last chapter before chapter 22, which we just read. Chapter 21, verse 34, it says, And Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' land, how many days? Many days. So here you have Isaac. He's born. Uh, How old was Abraham when Isaac was born? 100-year-old, I mean, he's, he's cutting into triple digits. Now he has a, a son, and, and, he, and, and, he's, and, and he's grown. And, and the interesting thing, we know he wasn't older than 37 because he was 37 when his mom, in the next chapter, Sarah, passes away. So we, we do believe that he was younger than 37, but, but we also don't believe he was a child. So you ask, why would God ask him to kill his child? The answer is, I don't believe Isaac was a child. And the second answer to that is, I believe that Isaac was surrendering himself as much as Abraham was surrendering Isaac. I believe that they talked about it, and through much anguish, and through much uh, blood, and sweat, and tears, they came to the conclusion that God was faithful, and if he asked them to do this, that God would come through in the end. And so Abraham's dream was to have a son, but his God-sized dream was much bigger than that. His God-sized dream was to have a nation. 
His God-sized dream was to see great things happen from Abraham's seed, from Isaac and beyond. You see, Abraham could only see a part of the picture, but from that part of the picture, he could put together all the other pieces and say, no, I don't see all the picture. I don't know why God would say this, but the one piece of the puzzle that I do have, I can put together the rest. Now, in order to illustrate this, okay, uh, I'm gonna show you guys a picture. This is interactive, okay? And if you're online, just yell it at your screen, okay? But but I I wanna show you a picture, all right? And then you, you, you tell me what you think it is, okay? So I'm gonna zoom in on a picture, then we're gonna zoom out. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see if anyone gets it right, okay? Here's the first one. What do you think this is, anyone? A tree, okay, what else? Wood chips? No, what if I told you that this is a zoomed-in picture of cinnamon? That's really hard to say, actually. Uh, cinnamon, cinnamon? It's like aluminum, yeah. Um, next picture, um, what do you think this is? Cornflakes. Wow, man, that's really good. Yes, it is cornflakes. Okay, um, that's very good. Whoever whoever did that, that was that was excellent. Uh, let's do another one. Let's do another one together. If someone gets this, I will be incredibly impressed. Mushrooms, not mushrooms. Okay, it's something that probably most of us in this room have eaten. It's a vegetable. Cauliflower? No, no. I don't think anyone's gonna get it. Let's zoom out. The inside of a bell pepper. Yeah, so, so, so there was one, one part of the picture. I think we have another one. Um, what do you think this is? Strawberries? <laughs> no, you don't want to eat this. Let's zoom out. It's a football. Okay, it's a football. It's a football. So do, do you see how when you have just one piece of the, of the picture, sometimes you can be a little confused. Sometimes you can be a little bit thrown off because you say, whoa, 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 God's not good. A good God wouldn't ask Abraham to kill his son. But you see, you're only getting one little piece of the picture. You're not getting the whole thing. In fact, we don't have the whole thing. We don't have the whole story. In fact, I believe we'll get the whole story when we get to heaven. And I believe it'll make sense when we get to heaven. Now, I'm gonna gonna try to paint you as much of the picture as the Bible gives us. But the question is, what do we do when we can't see the whole picture? What do we do when, when, when we don't have clarity that we need, when we're literally drowning in a sea of our own thoughts? What do we do? And I want to tell you, here's a key thought. Look in your notes or up on the screen, and that is when we are unsure if, if a dream is from God, surrender is the key to clarity. Let's say those six words. Surrender is the key to clarity. It's the key. That's five words. It's the key. It's the key to clarity. Maybe it is six. I don't know. Uh, it's hard, hard to count from here. Um, but it's the key. And, and you say, I just don't know where to go from here. Surrender. Surrender. So what does it mean to surrender? Well, in verse number one, when, when God calls out to Abraham, what is Abraham's response? Three words. Here am I. God, I don't know what you're going to tell me, but whatever you tell me, I'm there. God, whatever, whatever's coming, I'm there. And, and, and Abraham was just ready. He was surrendered. He was just open to whatever God would have. And let me just tell you something. One author put it this way. Surrender is the oil in the engine of the Christian life. 
Without it, everything falls apart. The, 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 the engine will smoke. The things, things will break down. There will be lots of consequences without a surrendered life. But when we have surrender, everything runs better. Everything is flowing. And so if we fail to surrender to God's promises, we will fail to succeed at what really matters. I've met so many people who were trying to climb the ladder of success only to find when they get to the top, it was leaning against the wrong building. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves when we come to the life of Abraham is, what is the point of pursuing God-sized dreams in our own might, in our own power? Or let me put it another way. What is the point of pursuing big dreams if our dreams are focused on all the wrong things? Like, what is the point of, of, of living your life for something that only makes you more empty when you are finished, not more fulfilled? And so, the, 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 the life of Abraham points us to the fact that a surrendered dream Regardless of what it is, regardless how big it is, a surrendered dream is the only dream that is worthwhile. So could your dreams be motivated by something that, that is based on what you're lacking, something that you want for yourself because you feel like if you get that one thing, you will be fulfilled? Could your career be built upon something that is good or something that you're good at but not something you're called to? Could your relationship or, or a relationship in your life, could it, could it be that it feels so right but it's completely wrong? Could, could there be something in your life that God is asking you today through the life of Abraham, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to surrender that to me. So will we say, here am I, or will we say, no, thank you? So we all surrender to something. Everyone in this room is surrendered to something. Everyone yields or gives in to something, to someone, to some ideological bent. But by the promises of God, we can be surrendered uh, from the wrong thing to the right thing. And so here's the key verse, and I'm, we're going to get there at the end, but I want to read it right now. That right after the ram was, was caught in the thicket and, and it saves Abra uh, Abraham from having to take his son's life, which of course God would not have let Abraham take his son's life. But in verse 14, Abraham uh, is so relieved and he names the place Yehovah Yireh. God provides. God sees. And it says, as it is said to this day, even to this day, to today, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Now there's two points of surrender that, that I want to go through and, and I've taken a little bit more time to, to kind of build where we're heading. But there's only two points and I want to give you these. No subpoints, just these two points. Uh, two points of surrender to clarify your, your, your dreams, okay? Number one, be willing to surrender progress for the promises of God's presence. So be, be willing to lay progress on the altar and say, God, this is what I feel like would make progress. This is what I feel like is good for me. This is what I feel like would really move my life's ambitions further. But I'm going to surrender progress for the promise of your presence. Now, how do we see this? In verse number two, it says, he says, get to the land of Moriah. I want you to get to the land of Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice your son. So, so, so what happens here is, is God saying, I've given you a part of the dream. But Abraham, I don't want that part of the dream to become your idol. 
I don't want that part of the dream that's good, that God gave you. I don't want that to be what you hold on to so you can't receive the rest of what I want to give you. Does that make sense? So what happens is God gives us good things, okay? God gives us relationships. God gives us things. God gives us opportunities. God gives us progress. And that progress is so good, and it is from God. But the moment we make good things the main thing, they become wrong things. You say, how can that happen? It's because only one person was meant to be the main thing in your life, and his name is Jehovah. His name is Yahweh. His name is the Lord God. And so everyone in this room has an Isaac in their life, something that is very good. But at some point, God's going to ask you to surrender that. At some point, God's going to say, do you love that more than me? So what is your Isaac? What is something that God has given you that, that you're afraid to lose? Something that God has given you that you love, that you just are really afraid to lose. And a lot of people are in this space right now where they're like, they're like I just don't want to lose this. And so I'm willing to do anything to protect it. And so are we willing to trust God with everything? Are we willing to trust God with our health? Are we willing to trust God with our safety? Are we willing to trust God with our resources? Are we willing to, to offer these good things in order to get the presence of God? Are we going to allow the things around us to subtract us and distract us from the presence of a living God? So God keeps you in this, in this uncomfortable state, as long as he can allow you to access his presence. But the moment that those things become your focus, God is going to start stirring you up. And that's what happened in Abraham's life. He said, get to the mountain. Get into my presence. I, I, I want you to come to, to, my, to, my, pre, to my mountain. And, and, and this mount was really, really important. In fact, it's known as the Mount Moriah. This is now the Temple Mount. I think we have a picture of the Temple Mount. It's where uh, the, uh, the, the original temple was, was built, uh, Herod's Temple. And uh, there's the Dome of the Rock and, and, and all of that. Um, and, uh, and this was the, the, the hill or the mountain uh, that, that, that's elevated. I think we have another picture. It shows you the elevation. Uh, the lines there uh, drawn on that picture show uh, the original old uh, walls that were there. And you can kind of see the elevation with the shadows kind of coming off those old walls. Uh, and so he had to climb this, and this was not a small climb. This was, uh, this was something uh, that would be like climbing from Los Angeles to Palmdale, uh, from Jericho up to this area. So it was a long climb, and, and, and it was something that God asked Abraham to do because he was going to do something uh, there on that mountain that was extremely significant. So there's a few lessons from Abraham's journey. Let's just go over these. They're in your notes. They might be on the screen. First of all, don't stay where you are. A lot of people get in a comfort zone, and God's saying, hey, listen, Beersheba's nice. There's seven wells there. There's lots there. You have a son, but, but listen, there's, there's more that I want to give you. There's more I want to do with you, so don't stay where you are. God meets you where you are, but he doesn't want you to stay where you are. He wants you to grow, and so don't uh, climb the wrong hill. You know, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the hill. I love that God always did this with Abraham. He said, I'm going to tell you when and where. You just start going. You just start getting, getting going. Don't climb the wrong hill, and then finally... We see in the last part of uh, verse 2, don't wait to walk in fear of failing. He said, listen, you just, keep, you just get going. You don't worry about how that's going to happen or, or what's going to happen. Don't, you don't stay here and stew and, 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 and be uh, in, a, in a pity party. No, you just keep walking. I'm going to take care of you. And so God wants to meet with him. And what does Abraham do? Look at verse number 3. 
Early the next morning, Abraham gets up. Abraham rose up early in the morning. I love getting up early in the morning. I'm weird like that. But I will tell you that in the, early in the morning, there's, there, there's a clarity of thought that, that, that I don't have, maybe you do, but I don't have at any other time of the day. I believe Abraham got up early and, and, and said, I, I just, I don't want anything to separate me from what God wants to do in my life. It was no longer about progress. It was about seeking God's presence. In verse number five, he, he, he does seek the presence. He, he gets to the Mount Moriah and, he, and, and, and Abraham said to the young men, he, he said, uh, me, and, me and Isaac, I and the lad, we're going to go yonder, yonder and, and, and worship. Wait, wait a second. God said nothing about worship. God said everything about sacrifice. God said everything about surrender. God said everything about discomfort. Now Abraham's saying, we're going to go worship. And then he says, we're going to go worship and we're going to come again. Both of us are going to come again. We'll be back. It, what, a, what a statement of faith. What a statement of informed faith. I've said this before, and I stand by it, and, and, and I've, I know some uh, don't agree, but, but I believe that God never calls us to exercise blind faith. I, I was told that growing up, and it was actually a stumbling block as a teenager because it was like, you know, you just you know, shut up and accept it. And the reality is God always calls us to to place our faith in him, but he always gives us the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so what evidence did Abraham have? What substance that he had that he could trust God? Now, if I took uh, Camden or Chandler uh, on the stage and blindfolded them, I'd didn't do this uh, just because I didn't know if I could actually pull it off. Uh, but, but if I blindfolded them and if I stood down here and I just said, hey, jump to me. Um, well, I, I think I could do it with Chandler. I'm not sure about Camden. Camden and Chandler both grew six inches this year. We just measured them last week. And uh, you may have not noticed that, but my pantry and my fridge have noticed. Uh, they've, they've, been, uh, they've been eating a lot and uh, they've been growing. Uh, but but if, I, if I stood down here and, and if I just said, uh, blindfolded them and I said, hey, jump. And, 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 and I don't, again, I don't know about Camden, but I know Chandler would. Okay, I, I know Chandler would be like, yeah, 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 okay, I'll jump. If, if he's jumping without seeing, you might say, well, that's blind faith. He's blindfolded. That's blind faith. And I would submit to you that it's not blind faith because there's been a hundred other times where he could trust me. There's been a hundred other experience that he can see. There's been a hundred other times or maybe a thousand where it, it inspired confidence enough for him to get in front of a hundred people and say, okay, dad, I trust you enough to jump. And so are we willing to trust God enough to say, regardless of what you say, I'm just going to do it? And here's what Abraham's logic was. It's found in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 17. Look at this. By faith, Abraham, when he was uh, tried, so he was tested, offered up Isaac, meaning bound him, put him on an altar. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said, that in Isaac uh, shall thy seed be called, according that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he was received uh, him in a figure. So what he was saying is, listen, 
Isaac was thinking, or Abraham and Isaac were thinking, listen, even if I die, I'm going to be resurrected because the promise is still alive. Listen, regardless of what it looks like, a lot of people are calling uh, churches dead. It's, it's done. Coronavirus has, has killed the church. Well, I'm here to say coronavirus can't sh- kill the church because Jesus said the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. I, I, I'm fine with whatever anyone says, but I just go with what the promises of God are. And the promises of God tell me that God can still work even when we think that all hope is lost. And that's the hope that Abraham had. And so through tears, I believe he worshiped God because he knew, here's a key thought, that the best of times and the worst of times will only be worth it when we're willing to worship. It'll only be worth it. Listen, uh, some, and I've talked to some, and, and their businesses have boomed during this time. That's awesome. Worship God and thank him for it. Uh, Some have lost their jobs and lost their homes. Worship God through it. You you say, if if I'm in a destitute place, why in the world would I ever worship? Why wouldn't you? You, you see, it is, he's not just the God of the mountaintop. He's the God of the valley as well. And so does, does God's presence mean more to you than your progress? Does, does God's presence mean more than what you have on your schedule? Does your schedule reflect the fact that you want to seek God's presence more than anything else? Has there ever been a time where, where you succeeded and you took all the credit? And here's an action item. I would, I would encourage you to do this. I did this this last week, and, and, and I believe it, it'll help you. I would describe one of the greatest achievements that God has let you to do. and Something maybe in the past that you've not given God the credit for. And then I'd sit there and step by step, regardless of, of, of if you've never thought of this before or not, write down everything that God allowed you to do. Write down everything that, that, that you've been proud of, everything that you said, man, that's really awesome. That's awesome, and, and, and that's an accomplishment I'm proud of. And listen, that's awesome to be proud of it, but don't forget to give God the credit. Don't, don't worship progress and forsake his presence. Number two, and then we're finished. Be willing to surrender expectations for the promise of God's perspective. Be willing to surrender expectations for the promise of God's perspective. Look at verse number six. We're just going verse by verse. He, he laid Isaac, his son, on the altar. You guys, I'm a dad. I can't fathom this. I don't care how old Isaac was. I can't fathom this. In fact, I would lay myself down so that they could live. I, I don't get the other way around. I just, it, it short circuits my brain. But, but I, I think it's interesting that they both went, verse 6, together. This was not a moment of sacrifice that was Abraham forcing Isaac. I truly believe the Bible's painting this submission to God that was together. By the way, relationships are supposed to be submitted to one another as unto the Lord. And so Isaac is surrendered. Abraham surrendered. And and what are they surrendering? They're surrendering what they expected to happen for what God wanted to happen. See, I have an expectation, you have an expectation, but if we're not willing to surrender that, we're going to live disappointed lives. 
So are you willing to surrender the, the, the expectation of how long it will take? Are you willing to surrender the expectation of an opportunity? Are you willing to surrender anything in the presence of God because of God's perspective, not your own? And so surrender is when we're willing to let God change something we normally wouldn't. And, and at the point of scarcity, there's a place where God wants to provide clarity. And, and, and when we're unwilling to, to surrender, it reveals the, the fact that we're not trusting his perspective. But when we lay it all on the altar, we see what God was trying to do. You see, he laid him on the altar. And God said, no, I don't want you to kill your son, your only son. And, and because I have a ram, uh, I have, a, I have a, of a lamb, if you will, uh, stuck in the thicket. And, and I want you to know that if you'll surrender to God, there's a thicket. And there's something behind that thicket that God has for you. And it's called your God-sized dream. And if you'll just surrender it to him, you'll look and you'll see something you haven't seen before. Why did Abraham and Isaac not see the ram before Abraham put Isaac on the altar. It's because God didn't want them to. And God will not give you a hundred steps of your plan because then you would worship the plan and not need him. He gives you one step at a time. And the moment you surrender those steps, God says, okay, I'm going to reveal a little bit more. And the reason why Abraham called that place Yehovah, Yaira, is not just because provide. In fact, it doesn't even mean provide. It actually means first and foremost to see and to understand and to be given a new perspective. You see, your new perspective is the provision that God is wanting you to have. He will show you where to go and what to do and what he has provided for you. You see, if you have lack and if you have discouragement, God has already provided the means by which you need to be encouraged and the mean by which your dream will be fulfilled, but you have not seen it because you are not willing to surrender yet. I am not willing to surrender. The moment I surrender is the moment I receive a new perspective. So the promises of God are the only way to have a new perspective. Let me say that again. The promises of God are the only way to have a new perspective. That is why Proverbs says, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. But when the desire cometh, it's a tree of life. There is life in the desire that God has for you. You say, but this is my desire. If it's not God's desire, it will leave you empty and discouraged and confused. So every person in this room, in the parking lot, online, and, and, and right here, I want you to know something. That God is wanting to fill you with something that will never run dry. He is wanting you to anchor your soul to something that will not move. And so this is what Hebrews 6.13 says, and we'll end with this. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, I love this, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, after he had patiently endured, when after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise 
See, we are waiting to obtain a promise. That's why we're in this God dream series, a God-sized dream series, because we're waiting for the promise. And the promise that Abraham was waiting for was, was another son that would be on Mount Moriah. It would be a son that would be a ram caught in the thicket with thorns on his head. He would ride a donkey as Isaac rode a donkey up the mountain. And the mountain's name was not just Moriah, but it was Calvary. Golgotha, the place of the skull. And Isaac carried the wood as Jesus carried the wooden cross up that hill. And he was sacrificed. And when God started to place the knife of his wrath upon him, he did not hold back his hand. You see, he saw you and me. He saw all of the sin that we would commit. He would see all of the doubt and all of the fear. And God slayed his own son because he wanted us to know that whom he loves, he sacrifices for. And see, Romans 8 says this, if God be for us, who can be against us? But verse 32 says it all. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also give us all things? Listen, God has something in store for you, and it's so much greater than what you have for yourself. Now, I stopped reading in Hebrews chapter 6, but I want to keep reading, and I want you to see it in your notes. Because in verse number 19, this is in the context of Abraham. Verse number 19, it says this. This, this is incredible. So now he's saying, there's a promise coming. There's a promise coming. And in verse number 19, he says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Now here's a key thought as we close, and it is this. The power of a God-sized dream is in the transformation of an expectation. You see, when your expectation changes, when your dream changes, your trajectory changes, your spirit changes, your attitude changes, your outlook changes. And I want to tell you that if you'll dream a dream large enough for only God to step in, I believe when you start working toward that dream, yes, you've dreamed the dream that God God has given you, but now that dream begins to build you. Now that dream becomes your uh, steadfast and sure hope. And so the soul can only be anchored to something that is steadfast and secure. Everything else will move. Everything moves. People move. Friends move. Money moves. No anchor is sure and steadfast except for the hope we have in Jesus Christ. What hope is that? Well, it says the one that is entered into within the veil. Remember the veil? The veil equals the covenant. And the cross equals the altar. But there's one other piece of this puzzle before we close uh, this whole series out. And it is the last piece. It's the forerunner. Because verse number 20 of chapter 6 says, Whither the forerunner is 
entered for us, even Jesus, made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You see, Jesus is our high priest, and he is where you want to go. You say, where is my God-sized dream going to take me? I don't know, but I know who's already there. His name is Jesus. He's the forerunner, and that is why Paul said to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse number 9, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. You see, God said, I love you, Abraham, and I love you enough to express my love, but you will not see my love without surrender. You will not be able to experience my love until you act in love toward me. You see, God's love for Abraham delivered the dream, but it was Abraham's love for God that drove him to receive it. And when he received it, he said, this place, this place is called Jehovah Jireh. Why did he call the place Jehovah Jireh? Why did he say unto this day, it shall be seen? Because the word it shall be seen in Hebrew is the word ra'ah. It means to become a reality, to be shown, to come to pass. It literally means a dream has become a reality. He said, this is what God has done. And so before we close in prayer, I want to just give you this action item and the takeaway and we'll be finished. And that is next to every one of your God-sized dreams. By the way, if you haven't written them out, do it today. Don't wait till tomorrow, do it today. Write out a couple dreams, something that you believe God wants you to do. And next to those dreams, I want you to write out a list of the things that you are willing to surrender in order for God to bring those to pass. You say, I don't know about things. What's the one thing? What's the one thing you're going you're gonna to surrender because it's something that God is leading you to do in your life? See, if you're not willing to surrender, you have already surrendered. You have already surrendered to something lesser. And so this is the practical takeaway that I think will help all of us as we live this out. And here it is. I would encourage all of us, when we're dreaming big, to glance at our obstacles, be aware of them, but gaze at our God-sized dream. Listen, you glance at your obstacles, you'll know they're there. But I want you to spend most of your time gazing at your God-sized dream. Why? It'll drive you into the presence and it'll focus you on the promises of God. Thanks again for listening. If you would like to learn more about our church or how to get connected, check us out online at findnewlife.church or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Life. Have an amazing day.